morning, Watermark, family of God. Good to be with you guys. Hey, so this past week, TA kicked us off in this new series that's gonna carry us all the way through Christmas. It's called Made. And today it's going to be Made to Worship as we continue on with that. The other thing that kicked off last week was the five o'clock service on Sunday. Now, because you're here at the 11, you may not know what happened at the five. So at the nine o'clock, it held the same. Like same number of people showed up to the nine. At the 11 o'clock, same amount of people showed up at the 11. So you might be like, uh-oh, what happened to the five? Like 13 people show up? 1,800 people showed up. Like, <laughs> where did 1,800 new people come from? It's crazy. And I want you to hear the response of our lead pastor, Blake Holmes, who was just on stage leading us through communion. He said with holy reverence, he's like, Lord, if we can't care for those people, send them somewhere else. Because we're not about numbers. We're not about filling auditoriums. We're about the, he feels it as the weight of an elder, it says, who's shepherd and responsible for the, the care of souls. And so he's like, Lord, if we can't care for them, send them someplace else. But that is our intent as we gather together as the body of Christ is to care for one another, to love each other, to stir each other up to love and good deeds. And it's what we will do, I believe today, as we look at his word and the implications that it has upon our life. So, first thing I'm gonna show you, you know I'm always gonna show you something. First thing I'm gonna show you is uh, this. Now I never had this because when I first met Laura, these are attributes of her. When I first met her, here's what I knew about Laura. I walked into a living room, she was babysitting the family that I was staying with. Well, she was babysitting the kids of the family I was staying with. And uh, I walk around the corner, I was like, oh, hi. She says, hi, and here's what I knew. In that night, she was kind, she was full of joy, and that she worked at Pine Cove. That's all I had, that's all I had. But then, I got her number, that's right. <laughs> I got her number, but this story's about Laura, not about me. But the next day, we go and we have coffee, and I learn more about her. And as she's walking away to her car, I was like, oh, oh, hey, real quick, hey, um, what's your last name? She was like, Strickland, why? I was like, because I have you saved in my phone as Laura Pinecove. <laughs> but then over the course of nine months of dating, I began to know Laura more. We'd spend a lot of time together and I would see what she was doing, which showed me who she was, the motives of her heart. And so one night, I gathered her parents together, Rick and Linda Jo Strickland, and I was like, hey, I wanna meet you for dinner, and I'm sure they knew what was coming. And I pulled this paper folded out of my pocket, and I said, I want you to know what I see in your daughter. If you're seriously dating and looking to get engaged, here's a little pro tip for you. But anyway, I was like, <laughs> she is faithful. She loves God so much. She's prayerful. She loves others. She shepherds, ministers, and counsels them. She worships and sings. She's responsible, mature, and wise. I'm not gonna read you all 200, but I went on and on, and I'm sure Rick at the end was like, I know what you're gonna ask, just ask. I was like, could I have your daughter's hand in marriage? Because the more I knew her, the more I loved her. And the more I loved her, the more I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm dead to everybody else. Like, I'm making a covenant with you. We're gonna walk home together. Like, it's you, you and me, as one, together for the rest of our days, because I knew more of her and it responded in love and a desire to make that covenant together. And so it's going to be as we look at this series made through Genesis 1, 3 through 25, we're gonna look at who God is 
Now you might think like, wait, those are the six days of creation. We're gonna see what God did. No. What God did shows us who he is and it results in worship, a desire to worship that we just overflow like, who are you? That we would know him more and it would overflow in praise. And so today we'll look at, in Genesis 1, these six days of creation, what God did that reveals character qualities of who he is and that we would respond rightly in worship. Now you need to know up front, uh, this will not be an exhaustive list. It, it couldn't be. There's six days of creation, and I'm just drawing out one character quality from each day. And you may be sitting there thinking like, I can't believe you didn't mention authority. I can't believe you didn't mention relational, that he speaks. I can't believe you didn't mention sovereignty. How could you not have mentioned absolute morality that he declared things good? Well, because I can't even scratch the surface of who God is. He's so much more than I could woefully come to you and say, well, this is who God is and make him in a nice little box. I could never do that, but we'll attempt to. It, it would be like, this is what I've wrestled with as I'm thinking about his character qualities. I'm like, I told Laura last night, I'm like, I feel like someone asked me to reproduce the Mona Lisa and gave me finger paint. And I'm just like, and you can make out a little bit of the person but not the totality of all that God is and that we would even in that be like, you are so beyond all that we could ever know. Paul says, we see now dimly as through a mirror, but one day when we're at home with him, we will see fully. So let's start, day one. God is inscrutable. The definition of un inscrutable is unsearchable beyond our complete understanding. It's what I've just said. Genesis 1, three through five, and God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now, you need to know, you could read 10 different commentaries and hear 10 different things on what people think, emphasis on think, was happening here. Because frankly, we don't have a category for it. This blows all categories, that God would say, he would speak, let there be light, and there was light, although yet, it wouldn't be until a later day that he would even create the sun, that would emanate light, that would give us that particle and beam that is light, and it's like, well, you just created light, but there's no light source. There's no physical light source of the sun yet, and yet there's light. But it's a spiritual source, he spoke it into existence, and you see this at the very beginning of the book, but you know what you see at the end of the book is the exact same thing. Listen with me here in Revelation 22:5. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. It begins with God saying, let there be light, and at the end he's like, you don't need a lamp or the sun because I will be your light. And here we are in the middle, in the in-between, and guess what? Jesus is our light. John 1, 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He's always existed, and now he is coming into the world to give us that light. The other night, my eight-year-old, Hill, I'm putting him to bed, and I, we sing a song, and then I pray over him. And uh, I said, okay, Hill, now why don't you pray? Anything you wanna pray for? And he goes, He's laying on his pillow, he goes, dear God, 
please let me get sick. I hope my eyes, he's still just eyes squinted so I don't have to go to school this week. It's like, what? And then he goes, oh, oh, but God, not too sick, not like throwing up sick, just a couple days of fever. Amen. <laughs> so, what? My son is scrutable. He is very understandable. I can comprehend him. They're just incredibly honest kids. But somewhere along the way, we lose that, don't we? We start to pray these Christian veneers of what we think God wants to hear versus like, hey, my, my light is everywhere. My light is upon you. I know your heart before words on your tongue. I know it fully. Just be honest. Jesus said, unless you come like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom. My son is scrutable. God is inscrutable and he sees all. And so my question for you is where is it that you're sleeping in the light? Where is it you're spiritually sleeping right now in the light? Leonard Ravenhill, just theologian and preacher, he said this, he says, at this grim hour, the world sleeps in darkness. And we're all like, yep, yes they do. In their cultural immorality and just this landslide of, of lost ethics, they are sleeping in darkness. But then he says, with a cutting to the quick, while the church sleeps in the light. Where is it that you are sleeping in the light? God is inscrutable and says in Romans eleven thirty three 33 through 34, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable, there's our word, his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counselor? He is inscrutable, unsearchable in his being, and yet what that does not mean is that he is not unknowable. He has made himself knowable. He's revealed himself in the word and in creation. And so while he is inscrutable, he is not unknowable, but he is a personal God who loves us and has you in mind. It says in Romans 1.20, here it is, he is not unknowable, though he is inscrutable. For his invisible attributes, meaning like, can't see him, but we can know his character that is unseen by what he has made. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Well, who's the they that are without excuse? It says that the foolish have become darkened in their understanding. They have suppressed the truth. Like, okay, by everything that's been made, there's gotta be some, but someone did this. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there life rather than non-life? Why is there order rather than disorder? Like somebody did this, but they suppressed the truth. And it says they neither give him thanks nor glory. And in their foolish hearts are darkened. He is inscrutable, but he's not unknowable. Further, God is teleological. There's a 10 cent word for you, teleological. Telos, meaning the end. Logical, meaning the reason for that end. And I need you to know that I wrestled with this word and what to say, what divine attribute to exclaim God, and I just, I fall short. Everyone falls short. I thought about these. I thought, God, you're deliberate. He is intentional. He is purposeful. 
He is a God who ordains things. And I'm like, those just fall short because even people can be that. People can be intentional. People can be personal. People can towards it. It just falls short. And I'm like, teleological, I feel like gets a little closer, meaning he has a reason for the end. He has something in mind that he is doing and it will not be thwarted. And so here it is in Genesis 1, 6 through 8. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. So remember the the spirit was hovering over the waters of the deep. Now he's, he's creating an expanse. He's separating it. And let the waters separate from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse this in between heaven. It's the sky that he had just made. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. It's it's the atmosphere that we know, the oxygen that we breathe. He's, he was doing something. Whenever we had the shelter in place, when COVID first landed on the scene, uh, the kids were driving us nuts. You know, we're like, we're like there, we can't go anywhere, we can't do anything. And Laura's like, we need something in the backyard. Like, we need a tree fort. And I was like, great, load up. We're gonna go get a tree fort. So we go up 75 to this like tree fort store and the kids are playing on them. They're rolling around. Hey, we want this one. We want that one. We want the, the Dakota version. And I was like, okay, cool, great. Yeah, we'll take uh, one of the Dakota versions. What? Okay, never mind. It was $5,000. I was like, oh, I'm so out on that. I was like, kids, load up. That's the last time you're gonna see a Dakota. We're going home. <laughs> well, I was like, what are we gonna do? I was like, that's, that's, that's a ripoff. I'm gonna go to Home Depot. She's like, oh, no. <laughs> but I go to Home Depot and I load up in the back of her Suburban and I get home and it's like, boom. Two by fours, four by fours, six by twos, cedar planks, chains for the swings, uh, this jankety old slide I got off Craigslist, and it's all just like, bah! And the kids are like, you're a bad dad. <laughs> like, we just played on the Dakota, and what is this? But I knew what I was doing. I had a picture in my mind. I wasn't building randomly. I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew that I was gonna have a, a downstairs room. That's right, it's two stories. It, uh, it has not met code yet, so, but it'll have a doorway. It'll have a little window where they can do a lemonade stand or whatever they wanna do. It's gonna have a ladder that they go up where they're on a second platform that has a roof on it to shelter them if they wanna be out there in the rain or the snow. And then it's gonna have a second platform that they can step onto, that they can play on, and below that are gonna be three swings. Oh, and by the way, I'm gonna put it in the middle of these crepe myrtle trees that are growing up through the roof and about it. And then I got done and they're like, oh, okay, okay. We got it. And to this day, I mean, yesterday, all the neighborhood kids playing on it and loving it because I knew what I was doing. And so when God creates foremost and he's got the earth formless and void and darkness over the deep, we could be like, well, what, are, what is this? What are you doing? And it wasn't bad. God can make no bad. He can do no bad. He doesn't sin. He, there's, there's no strike with God. Like every time exactly what he intended, but it's like, what is this? But he was building something. He wasn't finished yet. And he was inviting us in that we could see because we're image bearers. He was not finished yet. You want to talk teleological to, to have a reason for the end? Check this out. Creation was not the first act. And you might be like, blasphemy! <laughs> there was something before creation. 
This will make me cry. Ephesians 1.4, even as he chose us in him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world, before he brought all the raw materials and like, I'm gonna make something amazing. Before any of that, he's like, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you, you're mine in Christ Jesus. And now I'm gonna make you something, I'm gonna make you something, you're gonna love it, a place for you to live, teleological. He began with the end in mind and the end was you, that he would rescue you and ransom you. And so it is with your life. You're looking at your life in this pile of stuff and you're like, really? The date rape, the divorce, the joblessness, the financial stress, you know I'm working two jobs, God, three jobs, single mom, the disease, the diagnosis. You're looking at that pile of stuff and you're like, what are you doing? And he is saying to you this morning, I am not finished yet. I'm not finished because he will make something with all of those things, all the self-inflicted things, all the inflicted from others things, all the brokenness from this world. You give it all to him and he will make something amazing because he promises. It's Ephesians 1.11 where he says, he works all things into accordance of his will. That means nothing escapes the will of God. He works all of it into accordance of his will. And it says in Romans 8, 28, that for those who love God, church, body of Christ, for those who love God, he works all things for good. Not that all things are good. All things are not good. There is sin and brokenness in the world, but that he will work them. He's like this master artist that, that, that upscales things and recycles them, who takes all the junk and can make something amazing from it, works all things for good. So you can trust him with your eternal end. So whatever feels formless, dark, and void in your life, give it to him now. Give it to him now, and he will do something with it. He has an end in mind, and it will be for your good and for his glory. One of the most teleological verses in the entire scripture is this, Isaiah 46, 8 through 11. Remember this and stand firm. I, I mean, stop right there. He's, he's calling to memory what he's about to say. And in this, he says, you can stand firm no matter what the chaos of the world, no matter what the formless, dark, and void in your life. Stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. Maybe he's hearkening back literally to Genesis 1. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of counsel from a far country, I have spoken, I will bring it to pass, I have purposed, and I will do it. One of the most famous things in all of baseball is when Babe Ruth steps to the plate and he points his bat I mean, the audacity. And then just like, poof, crushes a home run. He called his shot. This is the same as God being teleological, except unlike an incidental connection of a ball to a bat in a moment, this is God calling his shot through millennia. Millennia of a broken world and people who have free will. He's like, nah, nah, watch this. I'm gonna work it all into accordance to my will. 
because I have an end in mind. He's teleological. He is also a God of order. He's a God of order. Day three, Genesis 1, 9 through 10. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. As T.A. talked last week, the ancient cosmologies, they would say that the, the sea was chaotic and dangerous and threatened life. And here God flips that over and is like, no, it's, it's good. I made it. It's good. He is ordering the chaos. What appears chaotic to us, just like those ancient cosmologies, creation accounts, he's like, no, no, I know it looks chaotic. I'm telling you, I will bring it to order. He gathers up all the water, puts them in a place, brings all the land, puts it in place, and he brings order to that chaos. That's what he does. Now, you got the creation account here in Genesis 1. But in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 5, like this much further, there is a description about God's creation account of the waves. Now, it begs the question, like, well, God, we're a little out of sequence here. Like, we're talking about the sea being separated from the lands, and, and here, Jeremiah 5, what are you doing? Why is that there? Listen to what he says. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I placed the sand as the boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, though the Mariana Trench rises with all of its volume and creates these cascading waves more than 100 feet that crash down, though the swirling hurricanes, all of the ocean and waves, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. Now, you know why in Jeremiah he's talking about ocean waves? Because he was talking to the nation of Israel who was in a time of rebellion. He had told them, hey, I want you to let the fields lay fallow every seventh year so that you trust in me. And they're like, they never did it. They're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Wait, what? Let, you mean don't grow anything on year seven every seven years? No, we're not doing that. What would we eat? That's crazy. That would be so chaotic. I mean, we can't run down to Kroger and get produce. Like, we gotta grow it. And he's like, don't do it. But they did it because they saw the disorder and the chaos. And it wasn't just that. They're like, God, when we call on you, it doesn't seem like you're doing anything. So we're going to raise up these Astra poles. We're going to worship the other gods of other nations because maybe they'll come through. We're just going to kind of hedge our bets a little bit. And they were in a time of rebellion. They saw disorder and they attempted to bring their own order to their chaos. And it was horrible for them. And so in verse 23 says, but this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and gone away. He's a God of order, meaning the waves, the smallest particle of a sand God lays down. I mean, a sand that I could blow off from my finger. God says, the waves won't pass through this. It can do anything. I say it stops here, it stops here because I am a God of order. And so while you can entrust him with your eternal end because he's teleological, here you can trust him with the messy middle of your life because he is a God of order. So what seems chaotic to you, God will bring order to. 
the apostles were going through the Sea of Galilee and it says they were beaten by the waves. The wind was against them and they were far from land. And here comes Jesus, just walking on the water. He treads on what troubles us. He treads on what troubles us. He's like, I'm sovereign over it all. I'll work providentially on your behalf. I will bring order to the chaos that is swirling around you. And nothing will happen to you that has not first passed through the sovereign hand of God. It is a promise from scripture. Last weekend, or maybe two weekends ago now, I was officiating a wedding of a Watermark couple, Thomas and Nicole Bills. Thomas just started the Watermark Institute, incredible couple. They invited our kids to be ring bearer and flower girl. Well, Judd, right before the wedding, uh, we're at the house kind of getting ready to get ready, and he goes, Dad, yeah? Will I be an adult this weekend? What? Eat your cereal. What are you talking about? It's like, will I be an adult this weekend? It's like, no, you won't be an adult this weekend. You'll still be four. Like, what are you even asking? And he said, well, then how am I going to get married? I was like, oh, buddy. Hey, you're not getting married? In his mind, when we said, you're going to be in a wedding, he's like, well, I guess this is the end. (laughs) All week, all week, he's thinking like, it's my last bowl of Captain Crunch, like, I don't even know who she is. (laughs) It's crazy. It's like, buddy, you're not getting married. I'm a father of order to the chaos that he was feeling. But I think in the same way, we can feel the same. We're like, God, are you gonna do anything? I know you see, you're omniscient. I know you see, I know you're omnipotent. You can do anything. You're not sleeping, like you can see this. Do something. And he will, he promises to. He's not gonna marry you to that chaos. He'll bring order to it. And so in 1 Peter 4.19, it says, therefore, let those who suffer, and you will, you will, all who desire to live a godly life will suffer. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, wow, stop there. It's according to God's will that you suffer. It has not escaped him. He knows what you're going through. He's either allowed it or ordained it, will entrust their souls, maybe not your body, maybe not your finances, maybe not your family, but entrust your soul to a faithful creator while doing good. I was reading that, I'm like, creator? Like if I'm writing that passage, I might drop in, entrust your soul to a faithful redeemer, to a faithful rescuer, to a faithful savior, to a faithful Lord, to a faithful counselor or advocate. I don't know, but I wouldn't have chose creator. That's kind of weird. And when I'm suffering, I want a close savior, a suffering savior who understands. And God's like, no, 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 no. I want you to remember, remember everything I did in the six days of creation and the enormity of it and how I brought order to all of that that seemed so chaotic. Don't forget, because when you're in the middle of that suffering, I am a faithful creator. I can do anything. I'm in the heavens and the earth. Do you not think I can handle this small, though it feels huge, problem? I got you. And I'm faithful. The attribute to creator is I am 
faithful. There's never once that I'm gonna miss it. He's faithful. He's a faithful creator. And so the question that we need to be asking when we face suffering, and right now I guarantee you, maybe all of you in some way are going through something. We're all facing battles. Is not, how could you have me go through this? But instead, that our heart would flip and it would be, how can I glorify you through this? Because you're a God of order. He's not just a God of order, he's also a provider. Our God is a provider. He's not distant or absent, he's a provider. Now this is still day three. Genesis 1, 11 through 13, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds and fruits bearing fruit, and which is their seed? And each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so, and the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, which is in their seed, each according to its own kind, and God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. You know, I've been to the Louvre in Paris, and these magnificent, priceless works of art, and beside every single one of them, spare none, there's a little placard that always tells you who made it because people stand like they're like awestruck, take their breath away like, what? And the Louvre wants to tell you who did that. That we would look at creation, everything God has made, the plants, the seeds, the fruits, everything, and then we would step back and be like, who are you? Who did this? And we would attribute that glory to him and worship. Judd, again, Laura got him a little tub of Legos. He's a, he's a creative kid. But this Lego set, it wasn't like you follow the instruction manual. It was just a randomized set of primary color Legos. But what's fascinating about it is Judd will just sit there and he'll start putting stuff together and one day he builds a house and one day he builds a spaceship and one day he builds a car. Frankly, they all look the same, but to him they're different. But his parents were like, I wonder what he's gonna build today. I wonder what he's gonna make. And I think it's exactly what God did when he made all the plants and vegetation on this earth. I think then he's just watching and giving us the wisdom to do so, to see like, what are they gonna do? When are they gonna find the cotton? The cotton that they can actually put into a loom and make the clothes that I'm wearing. Like, when are they gonna find whatever it is? Did you know we didn't even discover coffee until 400 years ago? Coffee. Imagine a life without coffee. You know he's up there looking like, help me help you, find the coffee. I know your parents, I know you gotta go to work, I know you gotta stay up and study, it's there, find it. But I think he just watched with awe. And so oftentimes, I think when we read this, we're like, yeah, yeah, so he made some stuff. No, he's a provider, look at all that he provided. Medicine, from aspirin to morphine and essential oils. And some of you are like, I can't believe you said essential oils in the category of medicine. And others are like, that's right. Clothing, lumber for the building materials, for the musical instruments that we just used to sing worship to God. He gave us all of that as a provider. But I think when he was making the trees, you know what I think probably happened? I like, I think, because he is teleological, he has an end in mind. I bet one particular tree, and I don't know if it was, a, if it was an oak or a pine or a fir, but I think there was one particular tree that he made and just stopped and stared at probably. And was like, that tree is gonna drop seed, which will plant a tree, which will drop seed, which will plant a tree, which will drop seed, which will plant a tree. Throughout millennium, 
until one day, a tree, it's gonna grow up. It's gonna grow up, I don't know how many years it's gonna grow, and then somebody, an ax, gonna cut it down, and then they're gonna hewn this log and shape it to make a beam and a post. And I will not only provide the tree, I will provide the sacrifice that would be laid on the tree. And the eternal son of God, the spotless lamb who took away the sins of the world will be laid on that tree from the descendant of the tree that I have just made. And I'm a provider and he'll be raised up that whoever trusts in him will be forgiven of their sins and he will be raised from the dead having victory over sin, death, and Satan. He is a provider. My grandfather-in-law, we were, we were, uh, he just died of cancer. This is Laura's grandpa, my father-in-law's dad. He just died of cancer, and Laura and I knew that the end was imminent, and so we went and visited him. We're sitting there with him. Cancer's just wrecked havoc on his body, sitting in an easy chair, and Laura's on her, on her knees, just through tears, pleading with him to trust in Christ, and, and she says, what are you gonna say to God when you see him? And he says, well, if he's there, I'll tell him I gave it my best shot. Gave it my best shot. I've heard he's a God of forgiveness, so maybe he'll forgive me. And I said, we know you've given it your best shot. You're the most amazing grandfather. You were a grandfather to me, though I wasn't yours. You've been the most amazing great-grandfather. You've been the most amazing father to Rick but you lack one thing. And he said, oh? I said, it says in scripture, it's appointed for man to die once and face judgment. Have you ever done anything wrong in your life? He said, of course. I said, then you lack forgiveness. It's the only thing you lack. So before it gets really dark, pray to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And that man the Lord removed the veil. Tears welled up in his eyes. And he's looking at me and he says, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And we grabbed hands and we prayed and that man placed his faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And he is now at home with the Lord because God is a provider. He provides salvation. It's what he does. He provided everything that we need on this earth and he provided everything that we need spiritually. And some of you here today, you've got provision materially but not spiritually. And so I stand here to tell you that God has provided a way for you that your life could be made new and that you could stop living for evil human desires but rather for the will of God by placing your faith in Jesus. And then there's others of you that are like, no, I've already got Jesus. I have Jesus. I've trusted in Jesus. I have Jesus but I don't know that Jesus has you. Have you given him all of your life? Or have you said, you can have my salvation, but I'm gonna do what I want with my body and with my boyfriend and with my money and with my time. Jesus, you have him, but does he have you? He is a provider and we should respond in worship. We were made to worship. It says in Romans 12:1, in view of God's mercies, in view of him being a provider of our salvation, to offer our bodies, the totality of our being, to offer it to him as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And he says, this is your spiritual act of worship, made to worship all of me, God, it's all yours. The word spiritual in Greek is logikos. 
meaning it is your logical response. It's your logical act of worship to respond to God in that way. He is a provider. He is a provider, but not just any provider. He's an awesome provider. Listen to day four. Genesis 1, 14 through 15, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. Now, when I say he's an awesome provider, some of you, you know, we use the term awesome for that's an awesome TikTok video. That's an awesome pizza. No, it's not. Awesome means so full of awe that you're dumbstruck and speechless. Like, like take your breath away. That is how he is an awesome provider. When it talks about the creation account of the sun and the stars and the moon and all that, you'd think it'd be like, hey guys, I'm gonna give you sunlight so that you get vitamin D, so that your bones don't become brittle. They're gonna get stronger from that. You won't get depressed, seasonal affectional disorder. Uh, I'm gonna take care of you. We're gonna give sunlight for photosynthesis so that the plants I made, they're still gonna grow. There's a lot of things he could have said about light. Instead, he said, I'm gonna give you light and it'll be for signs and seasons days and years, which is a really interesting thing. But I think it's because here's what people did before the Industrial Revolution. At night, when night would come to being, they would do this. And you're probably wondering, how long are you gonna lay there in silence? But it's what they did. They're just looking up at the heavens. And don't do this in Dallas, because you won't see anything. There's light pollution. But this is what the ancients did up until just recently, would just stare at the heavens. And they're just looking and considering. And David in Psalm 8 says, when I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the stars and the moon, which you have set in place, how are they in place, even as they float in orbit, which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of me? David's looking at the grandeur and the magnitude, and the swirling, ordered space. And he's like, who am I that you're mindful of me? Because what he's beholding is, God has put us inside of a cosmic, colossal clock. We're like inside of a Rolex, as it's like, for signs and seasons. He is an awesome provider, like mind-blowing. You know, throughout the the creation account, there's what's called divine fiat. Divine fiat means God speaks it and it is. So when he says, let there be light, there's light. When he says, let there be plants, there's plants. When he says, let the water separate from the water, it is, it's a divine fiat. Well, did you know there's extra biblical accounts? These are things outside of scripture that we still know to be true. They're historical, though they aren't in the canon of scripture. And there are times when God spoke to creation but creation did not do what he said. The divine fiat failed. And here's what it was. It was us. He said, let there be love. Let there be gratitude. Let there be peace. Let there be holiness. Let there be the sharing of the gospel under the nations. And we were like, no, no. He's an awesome provider of all of creation, yields to his words. How could we not? We were made to worship. Not only an awesome provider, but lastly, from days five and six, he is a creative provider. 
He's so creative. Genesis 1, 20 through 25. And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly across the earth and the heaven, the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Don't worry that we're not talking about evolution here. There's a God and science message coming but it's all according to his kinds. He's so creative from the narwhal to the Venezuelan poodle moth to the Chinese crested water deer. All these things that he made where you're like, who are you? He's so creative. George Washington Carver said this, I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station. Like think about just through the airwaves, just unlimited beyond, like throughout the whole world and universe, an unlimited broadcasting station through which God speaks to us every hour if we will only tune in. Tune that dial of our heart to see and behold God in what he has done to know who he is and respond in worship. I think if you go, if you go deep on anything, like the Dumbo octopus, which is a thing, and you should see it, it's amazing, or the narwhal, or whatever. Like if you go close on one particular thing, your mind will be blown, and you will see a very creative provider. So creative, the epitome of creation. And so I wanna tune our hearts to this. As Carver said, it's broadcasting. If we would just tune our hearts, I wanna tune your heart to the coconut, just as one example of a billion that are on this earth. Because if you look at it closely and go down the rabbit hole to explore it, your mind will be blown by the creativity of God. So what you may notice is that it's, it's round, right? A coconut is round. And it typically, if you are on an island or something, it's got a husk around it. Well, guess what? It floats. And so there it is in the ocean floating. It's in salt water. Salt water normally would kill a plant. But here this one is, is floating. Now it matters that it's round because once it hits that shore and is on the sand, the waves are gonna roll it up. And it's gonna roll up. As the tide goes, it's gonna push it further and further in so it doesn't get swept away. And guess what? Because it's round, it does exactly what God intended and it just keeps getting pushed up the shore having rolled in from the land. If that was a banana and I threw it, it'd be like, and just stop. It's not a banana, that's not what God had in mind. But instead it was that. Now you would think once that landed wherever it lands, which would be on sand, it's gonna be in sand, not soil. And be like, uh, it's probably not gonna make it. Well, it will make it, because God intended it for it to make it. And so that coconut will put down roots. And what's it gonna drink? It's gonna drink salt water. Well, salt water kills most plants, not the coconut. So there's the coconut drinking salt water, not having any soil to draw nutrients from, and yet raises up a coconut tree, which is crazy. It's like, where did the mass of that tree even come from? Like, from salt water and sand? Yes, it is God's design. And then you've got the leaves, which are fronds. They're not like this, they're like fronds. Because as those trade winds blow through, it would rip them to shreds with the powerful winds. And so God designed it to be able to pass through, to not be like a kite that would just blow off. It's all intentional. And as that thing grows, it grows out at an angle. Now why does it grow out at an angle? 
You're like, because of the trade winds. You just said that. No, it doesn't, it doesn't grow because of the trade winds. It grows because it's getting sunlight. And you should ask, well, every other tree grows straight up because of the sunlight. Why is this one bent? Here's why it's bent. Because the light reflects off of the sea all day, every day. If it's only straight up, it's only gonna get high noon, so it bends out towards the sea to get more light. Well, that's fascinating, because if it didn't, when the coconuts dropped, they would just drop on the sand. But here they are, dropping nearer to the tide, which will take them out to go to other islands to populate those with coconuts. And in case you're exploring and you end up on that island, rather than having to go inland to find fresh water, which you'd never make it, you'd die of thirst, the Lord's like, I got you. I've already thought of this. I put Gatorade inside those fruit. In fact, crack it open. You got electrolytes, sodium, potassium, everything you need. And somehow, even though it's been drinking salt water all its life, it's actually sweet. You're welcome. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Yeah, I, 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 I do think it deserves a round of applause to the Lord. It's like, who thinks of that? It's just one thing. There's a billion that if you looked closely, you'd just be like, who are you? And fall to our knees in worship. When I asked Rick and Linda for Laura's hand, I didn't just get Laura. I also got my in-laws. And not just any in-laws, but Rick Strickland who can throw a barbecue. And so when he invites you to a barbecue, you don't miss like you cancel plans, you make up something because FOMO will haunt you because he'll have like inches thick steak, salmon on planks, sausage for appetizers, vegetables grilling. Like it's incredible and you're like, what's his number? We going today? And so I show up there, what I've never done, never in the history of our relationship is like carve into that steak and be like, oh steak, oh steak with your grill marks in the perfectly pink inside, maybe even a little bit red, but I'm colorblind and I can't tell. I would never put anything other than salt on you, not like my rebellious, unfaithful wife who uses A1 on you. I would never do such a thing, but I delight in you as you hit my taste buds and you satiate my hunger steak. Thank you, steak. I would never say that, that's ridiculous. Instead, I take a bite and I'm like, okay, Rick, Rick, that's the best steak you've ever made. Are you kidding me? Thank you so much, that's incredible. Thank you, how did you do that? I mean, I can never make a steak like that. Thank you so much. I don't worship the created, I go to the one who made it all and I'm like, you're amazing, you're amazing. You provided everything, you're creative, you're awesome, you're the provider, you began with the end in mind. Who are you? Because we were made to worship. We can look at what he did and thus know who he is and he is amazing. Let's pray. Father, it is a joy to talk about you. Although I know I am following woefully short <laughs> and I feel it, I feel the angst of like, how could I ever describe you and yet through your word, you have shown us, I am the God of the word and you can be known through your son Jesus and now the indwelling spirit. And Lord, I pray that as we look at creation, that it would just result in praise.
and not just praise in song in this moment, but that as we walk out these doors, it would be a life of praise because you alone are worthy. You're deserving of it. You saved us and now you send us. And so we stand and we worship you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Y'all stand and sing.